You're listening to Music Mythology. My name is Sam Romo, and let's talk about some music. pilot here we are so yeah uh i'm excited because uh dad i know you've been a long time fan of buffalo springfield i've only really gotten into him probably in the last mm, i don't know year or so uh, especially after watching um echo in the canyon it was a very um eye-opening to the beginnings of a lot of those bands and realizing that they were a super group without being a super group right like right. they had they had become something really phenomenal and like whiskey at go-go just in that in their in their own time but then post buffalo springfield they just exploded in all these different groups and um i mean at this point i mean they were kind of the most the best competitor against like the beatles like like you, you, UK versus America music output. You know, you had the Birds and Buffalo Springfield, and you had the Beatles, and they were both kind of ripping off of each other and just or riffing off of each other. Um, but uh, their their beginning is really interesting. Um, so I don't, I don't know if you you wanted to add anything, Dad. No, go ahead. Um, well, I was just going to say one one of the most interesting parts of their beginnings is that um, so two of them are Canadian. Um, well, I guess let's start with the members, who the members were. So you had Neil Young, uh, Stephen Stills, both guitarists and singers. Um, I think uh, Stills played the piano. Um, so let's see, what else? Uh, Dewey Martin on the drums, uh, Bruce Palmer on the bass, and Bruce Palmer was Neil Young's uh, cohort from Canada. So they were the Canadians. Um, and then you had... Um, uh, Furry, uh, or is it Furry or Fury? Sure, I think it's Fury. Okay. Uh, his first name is Richard, right? Yeah, Richie. 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 Um, and then eventually, uh, Messina. And was he a Jim Messina? What, was he a guitarist? I think he might have been rhythm. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, you had, uh, yeah. So you had the very beginning would have been uh, really interesting because they meet each other in 65 in Canada, um, Stephen Stills and Neil Young, that is. And Stills, you know, had told him that he's moving to Laurel Canyon and that's where he's going to be trying to make it with his, uh, his current group, um, which he wasn't the lead in. He was just a guitarist. Um, and at the time, Neil Young was in kind of the same bag. Uh, well, I guess that's not true. He was with the Squires, which was just a duo. It was him and another guy. Um, and I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, but they had been doing it for years. I think at that point it was like three years and it was like 63, 64. Um, then they, uh, they, they wind up meeting a Motown producer, uh, through Palmer. Palmer is the basis for the Manaw birds. Um, and, uh, or I'm sorry, I'm overlapping myself. So Neil Young, that's how he meets Palmer is their fellow musicians. And uh, he's currently the basis for the Manaw Birds, which was led by um, his. He didn't go by Rick James at the time, but he would literally be. He would eventually become Rick James. So he was the lead singer of the Manaw Birds um, out of Canada, and uh, they they went on um, to only get three singles, I think, through Motown. Um, they never had a, a, a record finished because, as they started to work on it, 
uh, the Navy, the U.S. Navy, caught Rick, uh, Rick James because he had gone AWOL from the Navy. And so when they found him, they, 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 you know, the production label was real weird, hands off. They didn't want to do, you know, they, they couldn't control it. They didn't know where he was going to go and what was going to happen. So he was too um, uh, chaotic. They didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but they had just bought uh, the studio. The label had just uh, invested in the uh, equipment for the entire band. So Neil Young got an electric guitar that he had never had before. They had electric amps that they didn't have before. They were all acoustic. And uh, uh, and so since they were over it and they didn't know what was going to happen, but they had met Stephen Stills and heard about the future you know, of folk music and rock music in, in America and California, they sell the equipment without telling the label take that money and buy tickets to go to America. Uh, and then they buy a hearse and that's where Neil Young gets his hearse, um, to carry their equipment. And then that comes to the legendary story of them coming to Laurel Canyon, l looking for Stephen Stills. Not, I mean, this is, this is early sixties. So you don't, you know, he's on the phone book. You're not going to find them. So who knows how you're going to find them. You got to go to whiskey, a go, go or whatever kind of venue down there. He would be around. Uh, but the legend goes is that they're driving in the hearse and it's a hearse. It's like, a, and I think it was a weird color. I can't remember what it looked like, but it, it stands out. It's not a regular car. And so as they're driving through, they literally pass Stephen stills on the, the road through Laurel Canyon or through LA, whatever. Um, then they see each other and I imagine it's because, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but if I see a hearse once time, I look at it. And then if you see, you know, two dudes driving it and then you know them, you know, then of course you'd probably stop because you'd realize, oh crap, look, it's a dude. Uh, but yeah, so they meet and, um, and then, uh, that's the beginning. Um, and then, I mean, uh, now we can get to their albums, I guess, because uh, that's what's the most interesting part. And well, and eventually, uh, I'll just touch on this really quick. I also read that eventually that um, that dealing of selling the equipment from the Motown label caught up to Neil because it was Neil's idea. And the label actually put like a, they reached out to the banks that he was with and they asked him to put a lien on some of his uh, dealings until he paid it back. So they went leaked full legal on them and could prove that, you know, we gave you this equipment and you sold it without telling anyone yeah, it wasn't technically your equipment. It was the studio's equipment. So they had him for the whole equipment. Like how much yeah. money are we talking about? I don't know. But I mean, at that point, I mean, it would have been, uh, I mean, I, and I assume they would have added interest cause I don't think it happened till like the eighties or the seventies. It, it took a while. Um, but that was just like a little side story that he had, it caught up to him. He had to pay it back. You know, he was already, I'm sure he already had enough money to where it wasn't a problem, but I just thought that was kind of funny that he didn't just like up and go on his own accord. He, you know, used the studio a little bit to leverage him to get a ticket over there selling their stuff. <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't the first of, or that was the first of many times where he would be chased after legally for something he did. Oh, I'm sure. Um, but you have, um, you have them starting out, and I think their first single um, officially underneath the, the name Buffalo Springfield, which they got that name from a steamroller. Yeah. yeah. They're another thing on that they were just hanging out and then they saw it and they liked the name and thought it would be different. I think they actually went by the Buffalo Springfield in the beginning and then they dropped with the, you know, like Facebook. Um, it always does sound better. Um, but, uh, but, anyways, so then I guess their first technical single. Um, is a uh, nowadays Clancy can't dance um, or can't sing. I'm sorry, I can't sing. Um, and that, that's a really good song. Um, 
that uh, I mean, off that first album, I, I love that track. I, obviously, for what it's worth, was became a huge protest song and a big, uh, a big part of of uh, that time, that era. Um, talking around, uh, talking about all the the unease, I guess, of of American society and balancing war and all these changes in culture and the change of music is just a very, I don't know, kind of a, a I don't know, how would you describe that song? Yeah, it's a, it, it, you said that it, it really, a lot is going on. Um, you have the Beatles who are, who are establishing the, the whole pop thing and, and everybody's all into the, to their style of music. And these guys are influenced, of course, by them. And they love their, their harmonies and their melodies and the things that they're writing. But they're, they're their own musicians. They're, I mean, in other words, they're, they're in California trying to put together their own sound, being influenced by the British sound. But they don't realize they're about to create their own sound. And so really the, the, the Buffalo Springfield is, is instrumental because like in Echo in the Canyon, uh, David Crosby says, we were good, but those guys were better. Mm-hmm. So Crosby, uh, you know, the birds take, like Dylan had done, they take folk and they incorporate electronic. They start playing electrical. They start playing right. electric guitars to the folk people. That was heresy. You, oh, yeah. It's like they were, people were freaking out. But the birds do it and they become successful. But then Buffalo Springfield does something that the birds don't do. They start to, to become more, um, well, so we're talking about rock, rock and roll woman and some of their songs are so uh, uh, complex. Hmm. The, the, the inner, you know, the, the, the guitars battling against each other, yeah. their harmonies, uh, the arrangements. Now they're doing stuff that the birds weren't doing. I mean, they're taking what the birds and things are happening so fast, you know, so like you've got the Beatles stuff and then you've got the bird stuff and now you've got the Buffalo Springfield and these, and it's all happening down in the Laurel Canyon. All these bands are, are listening to each other, talking to each other, playing, you know, things and saying, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And so they're all just kind of learning uh, as they're going. So really it's a, and you add to it, kind of there's the mirror to our times now you're having a, a great upheaval socially culturally in what's happening with vietnam and and the hippie movement and civil rights and um so these guys are also beginning to talk about what's going on you know for what it's worth really for what it's worth is saying what's going on what's what's happening yeah. you know why is these things happening why are, what do we do about it so you've got people who they're, they're not considering themselves socialists or, or, or historians or cultural, uh, you know, uh, knowledgeable people. They're just saying, we're just responding to what's happening. Right. You know, we're just re- writing things, seeing things happening. Go, well, what's that? Why that? Why this? So how did they know that that would just reverberate through the cult to the, to the country? Mm-hmm. But of course it's speaking to the younger generation because that's the people who are going to listen to them. Because at that point, the establishment, the older people would have thought, that's that crazy, you know, rock and roll stuff, you know. Right. Well, that's the interesting thing, too, isn't it? Uh, in the 60s, I guess primarily in the 70s, that the, uh, the concept of uh, retail and music, it, it, the, the youth had, was so drawn to it. And so they became more of the cultural, um, like, uh, perspective on on what's important because they were consuming so much so i mean like music sales were just 
blowing up year after year after year because more and more people were getting into it, more and more artists were coming out, sure. But it was kind of the beginnings of the youth kind of directing the market, you know, because it was it was them buying the the albums that were important. You know, you wanted to invest. It wasn't like streaming. It wasn't like a YouTube where it was free and you could you can enjoy it if you can find it for free and with an add on or something like that. Well, no, at that point you had to find it yeah. and buy it, and 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 it became something worth investing in, and that's why the the sales just continued to climb. I mean, like crazy, um, particularly in the '70s. But it it started it in the mid '60s and just kept going higher and higher, and. Um, but uh, that's a, a well, because let's see, their first album came out in 64, I think. Um, let me see. You're talking about Flow Spring? Yeah. 66. 66. Yeah. So 66. Um, and then, so I guess they were in order 66, 67, 68. And so at that point, I mean, where were the Beatles? The Beatles would have been already. At, at help, will they already be done with help? Their rubber soul and and revolver heading to Sergeant Pepper's. Yeah, well, and then once you get to this album, Buffalo Springfield again. I mean, to me, this is this is kind of the folk rock response to Sergeant Pepper. It's like it's not. It doesn't have. I mean, there are some really complicated, in depth, you know, crazy songs on here. But to me, it's it's a it's a response to, to um, it's almost like they 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 knew what they were doing, taking folk chords and folk progressions, but putting them through electric, adding these weird effects, adding these weird noises, psychedelic noises, and creating this psychedelic folk rock group. But then you get the Beatles, you know, doing really good solid rock, pop rock, and then you get to Sgt. Pepper, and you get this, you know psychedelic new approach almost uh, yeah epic type stuff yes very epic complicated it's a studio album it's a it's all studio album. it's a total concept album and so with this one um i mean you get mr soul which is a very you know high energy uh kind of psychedelic but it's just like it's a it's a gritty rock song yeah, it's, it's really not rocky. it's not very bulky it's that's like that's neil's gritty electric coming out and that's what's awesome about uh, springfield if you are a neil young fan is you 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 can tell you know steven stills guitar versus young's guitar oh, oh yeah and um and traditionally and how they recorded uh, uh, if i'm not mistaken um let me figure out a better way to do this thing um uh, you know, most of the time it would be Stephen Stills doing the acoustic portions and Neil would do the electric portions. Um, like in the song uh, Bluebird, uh, which is at the end of the first half of uh, Buffalo Springfield again. I love the ending of that song because, I mean, the, this, the, the, the electric guitar is just so high energy and, and, and intense, but then you have these really like complicated acoustic guitar, even banjo at some times. And, and they, like what you were saying before, they battle back and forth. And like that's a, that's a cool thing of, of, you know, it's cohesion. You know, you feel like the, the, the band, they're all at their best, you know. And that's the cool thing about like the Beatles is every time you would listen to the Beatles, that's what made their production so phenomenal is every every piece had its own unique part to it there wasn't you know they always tried to stay on that cutting edge and buffalo springfield was the same mindset you know and you have these 
phenomenal uh, musicians trying to be competitive with another set of phenomenal uh, musicians you're just going to get better and better you know um but yeah i mean this album like um i guess like you could compare some of these songs to sergeant pepper like um like expecting to fly to me that one and uh, Broken Arrow are very much kind of because they're both Neil Young's they're primarily Neil Neil Young songs. Um, in fact, Neil Young did Expecting to Fly primarily by himself. Yeah, it's pretty much his. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that was the beginning of yeah. them kind of separating. Yeah, because they and in their touring, I know they had a lot of uh, uh, drug charges. They would, they would you know, the the basis. I know Palmer got caught with with drugs. It never it doesn't list what it is, but it gets caught with something like two or three times, and then he he gets I think he gets taken back to Canada like mm-hmm. at one point, uh, and so that's why he drops off. I think after the second album, um, and Neil and and Stephen Stills just had big personalities and wanted to steal steer the ship, and I just think that's they they couldn't have that balance they never found it and who knows maybe palmer was a good offset because he knew neil but he also knew you know steven but um anyways expecting to fly and broken arrow i feel like are good uh they're good tracks to compare to like a day in the life you know long like an epic song you know it's got an intro it's got an outro that's very epic and intense and then the 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 lyrics um every time they come in it's a it's like it's an important statement i mean like expecting to fly is a really uh raw like approach to a love relationship of you know one person not being uh, communicative and saying you know how much they would love you love them uh and then realizing that you know uh, that yeah i don't know i mean it's up to interpretation but it's just a, it's a very intense love ballad of about um of your expectations of love and what it, what it means and what you get from one another, um, but that one in Broken Arrow, I mean Broken Arrow has like I don't know like six or seven parts to it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. It has like the the opening of Mr. Soul and then it fades into the actual Broken Arrow song of Neil Young and then you know into like Carnival Noises and then back to the Broken Arrow and you know but that was that was like the test that was the um, like that, that's why I love music. I love to find the alternative, the weird. Um, approach to a song, you know, because I don't want to expect it. I don't want to, I, I like change. I like the unexpected. And so um, I just feel like that's why I've always loved this album. That's why I own this album is because that's what a lot of this is, is like the, the a lot of songs, they're hard to expect it's coming. There's not, it's not like a little doo-wop, little ditty that, you know, they they do a measure and they just keep repeating it because it's commercial. It, it, it meets the, the pop formula or something. It was just very, um, expressive and different that was the that was the whole get that was that's so that's the awesome thing about laurel canyon you had all these musicians just constantly around each other trying to get that new sound you know i think that's what what you just said or my i was thinking about just now is that there these guys the springfield and all the other players that are around them jackson brown and the birds david crosby and all these different people they're they're sharing and 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 experimenting with music and drugs and but they're also branching out so in other words oh i didn't think of that they're trying this did you hear this what do you think about this and right. so they're playing off of each other so so much but they just also happen to be pretty competent musicians so they haven't yet arrived they haven't become you know steven stills or neil young they're just right. guys playing guitars and making music and writing songs at the same time they're listening to the beatles now let's also remember there was an fm radio there wasn't 
they weren't hearing the songs as they came out. They would hear them from the 45s and the, right. and the albums. Are there, are there one or two stations that would play? What would they play? The singles. They wouldn't play, they wouldn't spin a whole record. They'd right. say, oh, this is the single from the Beatles. This is the single from whoever. So they're, they're listening to these songs and saying, okay, wow, well, I want to hear that album. What's that album? And, and then they get the album, they start listening to it. Well, they had to have sat around and listened to it together and said, do you, you hear what they said? Look what they're doing. Let, yeah. let's, try, let's try that. Let's do this. Let's do that. So I think exactly like what, well, what you're just saying is it's Neil primarily, but I'm sure it's the rest of the band, but I think it's predominantly Neil. He's like, you know what? I think we can respond to Sergeant Pepper. I think we can make songs like that because we're, we're sharing enough. We're talking enough about it. We know how to make music. They're getting better. Think about in three albums, they're getting to the by the third album. They're able to do expecting to fly and Broken Arrow. That's that's quite a, an acceleration of their understanding of the studio and yeah. how to use instruments and how to use the equipment. And so they cut they cut expecting to fly and Broken Arrow, which I'm sure some people are like, what is that? Why are you making that? Because it's very unusual. It's different, but it's very similar to some of the style of Revolver and 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 Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant Pepper yeah. And let's also remember, by this point, the Beatles aren't, they're not, they're not playing live anymore. They're not doing concerts. Yeah. They're strictly studio. Whereas, what are the Buffalo Springfield doing? They're doing, they're, they're live. They're performing. Not, but not only they're performing, they're, they're also jamming with other musicians and, and other bands. And they're, yeah. and they're, they're, so it's like, that's where their acceleration comes from, yeah. right? It's almost like they were able to catch up to a certain extent to what the Beatles were doing. The Beatles were always always setting a, a, the the tone or, or the pace, but all of a sudden from the West Coast, all these bands begin to just kick out all this music, and before you know it, their their sound is is just as vital and just as influential in America as the Beatles were. Not that the Beatles haven't lost, they've lost it yet. They're still the Beatles. In other words, they've arrived at a level where people are gonna listen to them no matter what. Yeah. But now, these guys from the West Coast the Beach Boys, you can throw them in there too. They're all kicking out albums that are like, whoa, what are you doing? What are they doing? Yeah. Well, it's like, well, that's just saying the nature of competition and and being a, a, a good to decent musician and you're listening to the Beatles, you know, change the landscape of music every album. You know, it's like, they just play that guitar backwards. Like, what, what is that instrument? What is that sound? How do they do yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. And just to be like, because cause I can imagine, um, especially someone like uh, Neil Young being blown away by that, because you have, he, I mean, he was a career musician. I mean, he, that was his life as soon as he was 18, I think, is when he tried to start that Squire group. And he tried to do a solo career and it didn't work out. And then he started playing for the Manaubers with Rick James. And then, you know, he, he, he was constantly ready for the, you know, the mantle of the, of the musician. But then you see these these you know four dudes over in, in the uk just dominating i mean just dominating and um not just out of making satisfying music but you see it in the media of, of the of the crowds of of the fact that like what you just said by the time uh, buffalo springfield was on tv shows performing live and getting their first big breaks and stuff the Beatles had already powered down and were over uh, touring. You know, it's like by the mid '60s when they were ramping up. The Beatles were like, all right, we've had our taste of that intense, you know, fame of people thinking they know us and they don't. You know, we're just trying to make this content and enjoy it. You know, because you know, because I mean, that's what Paul and, and John say, like in interviews, is they just started it because 
they liked music. They liked rock music, you know, the Richard and, and Elvis and yada, yada. And they thought it would be a good, a good, you know, little gig. And, and then it started to just pick up more and more momentum. Um, but then you have this super dedicated person like Neil Young, who kind of the same, same field, you know, but he went through multiple bands. So it was like, I know I'm going to figure this out eventually, you know? And, uh, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's a big acceleration is for someone that takes it so seriously like him or Steven still that you see the, the Beatles, you know, take away the touring aspect. And you're like, what? that's crazy. I mean, yeah, that'd be crazy. And then they pump out, you know, Sergeant Pepper and, 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 and then the fall the white album, all these crazy things. Where it's like, Oh my God, the music never stopped. They but just it, took a different approach. But isn't that also kind of like the difference between the rock and roll and the folk, you know, like that folk element that Neil Young sort of never departs from and saying like he wants, the audience interaction he wants mm-hmm. you oh, know yeah. like there is the music component but then there's also the i want you to hear these lyrics i want you to feel you know yeah, these songs sure. and to feel this but i think in terms momentum. of his, his evolution it was like his pacing in his career like because this album is proof of it i mean he's got mr soul expecting to fly and broken arrow which are like really crazy songs and then all of his electric contributions to any of the other ones but like it's a step up from the last album. This is only their second album. And then by the second, by the third album, um, One More Time Around, or what, what is the last one called? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, last Time Around. Let me see. Do you have that kind of Last Time last Around. Last um, You have, um, I mean, Questions and um, I Am a Child. Um, like, it's much more folky. They go back in the folky... Um, um, uh, Bluebird, I think, too. No, Bluebird's on, oh, Bluebird's on this on that one. one too. Um, but um, here, let me see. Yeah, last time around, you have On the Way Home, which you said that's a cover? Oh, no, no, no. It's that's Neil Young wrote it. it that's but, a Sp- Springfield but, covers it, but then Neil does it later. He, he keeps it as a repertoire song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but this one's got, it's just, to me, this album to me is almost like it's not like the Doors last album when you don't have Morrison on it, but it kind of is because you don't have the there's no uh, pure direction. There's no like leader in this last album. It's like Neil, I think before this album even came out, he had quit and he, you know, he had quit the day of. They're, they're, they were supposed to uh, debut on the Sullivan show. Oh, Carson. Or Carson. It was Carson. Johnny Carson. And yeah, and they were supposed to go. And then at, the, uh, was it when they got off the plane or before he they got on it, done. he walks out and says, I'm done. I'm not doing it. Yeah. And uh, Which pulls the plug on the band too. Yeah. And so this, this album is just kind of like the cleanup of, you know, what, what they had in, in store already. And uh, so Fear does a, a few songs that Neil wrote. But to me, this is the chance for you to kind of notice how good Fure is in his own yeah. right. Because like the song uh, "Kind Woman," like that—that's a phenomenal song. Like it's a very like intense, like, or, or it's not intense. But it's just a very strong like love ballad, and then he plays a guitar on, it, and that steel guitar is so like mm-hmm. it's so good. Well, it's a good point you're making because Fure and Messina go on to to be a part of a very uh, influential uh, folkish uh, pop type uh, bands, which is Poco and Loggins and Messina, who who make a lot of that same music. They're they're showing their harmonies and their ability to do those songs, mm. which are different 
from Neil and, and, and Stills. Can you move that a little closer to you? Better? Yeah. And one thing I wanted to point out too is like you were saying about how the Beatles had decided to, to back away from live touring, but when you look at the lyrics of Broken Arrow, uh, Neil says the lights turned on and the curtain fell down and when it was all over, it felt like a dream. They stood at the stage door and begged for a scream. The agents had paid for the black limousine that waited outside in the rain. Did you see them? You, did you see them? Did you see them in the river? They were there to wave to you. So it's almost like he's saying, we've seen all that. I mean, we've seen the limos. We've seen the people screaming and yelling for us. And they're waiting for us to go. And did you see all that? Because I'm done with it. Right. It's and, broken arrow. It's, you know, it's laying there broken on the side of the, of the, of the creek. I mean, he's, he's making his, his uh, observation that, I, I want to do something else and I don't want to be, pe I don't want people screaming and chasing me like a pop star, right, right. you know? Well, that's what I was saying. Like, I think he was one of those people that took the cue from the Beatles of like when the Beatles stopped touring, you know, some people have their own little selfish, like offense to it. It'd be like, that's crazy. You know, how, why, why could, why would you, who would think to do that? Why, why would you do that? But he's, he's lived it. You know, he's gotten to that point where he's, he's had a taste of it and then he's watched them like, you know, intensely. Like, yeah, no, I could see if I ever get that big, like, I don't want that. Like, I want to, I want my art, you know, I want it to be successful, but I don't want it to override me. I don't want it to change who, well, you know, what I want to be. Yeah. He um, still wanted to be live, but he wanted to do it his way. Yeah. He didn't want to have to follow the. But how many of those groups, when they got that big, actually kept touring and doing live music anyway? Because the, the Beach Boys didn't. I mean, I guess just the Rolling Stones continued to tour when they were Even the big bands, the most yeah, like the ones that got that uber famous, really? like they all stopped. I feel like a lot of the ones, I mean, yeah, a lot, there were the majority of them that, that either had, um, you know, internal turmoil or, um, like Neil, they just wanted to break off and do their own thing. Um, or even like people like Bowie where like he, you know, he started off in bands, you know, he was a saxophonist and then was a backup singer and then became the singer for, um, oh, I forget that, that band is kind of like a fifties doo-wop kind of group, whatever. Uh, but totally not his style, but you know, that was the beginnings. And then, um, as soon as he had a chance to, to do his own thing, it was just totally different, but he, but he took the, you know, uh, uh, influence from the Beatles of uh, kind of the same thing. Sergeant Pepper, that day in the life, like Space Odyssey was his first oddity, was his first big single um, on his first album. And that was, I mean, it's very much like a day in the life, how it's, you know, it has that, that big intro, has that crazy ending and it has a really good story. And, and, and even that song has parallel lines, you know, of, yeah. um, uh, what shirt do you wear? I think is used in both, I think. Um, and this, I mean, he's openly admitted, you know, that that was a big influence, but you know, he was the one kind of breaking out of that ex expected music industry mold of like, I don't need to have a producer, uh, or like a certain producer. I don't need to have a full band, you know, like, cause you, like you talk about, you know, like Dave Bowie, it was like a revolving door of the people that he would play with. Cause he always wanted to be on the cutting edge, you know, that music Renaissance, you know, well, and I think that actually when you, like you pointed out just now, but also in relation to the Buffalo Springfield, one of the big things you see happening from Laurel Canyon and the West Coast is that these guys are figuring out, hey, we can we can write our own ticket. We can be ourselves. We can do what we want to do the way we want to do it. And and they'll they'll pay us. We don't have to 
follow the corporate model. We don't have to follow like, like you remember like the movie that, uh, that thing you do where the, the record company or the producers or the studio tells you, this is what you wear. This is what you, how you act. This is the style you do and you play what what we tell you, you know? So when the, when the West coast blows up and these guys are coming out of there, all those bands that coming from Laurel Canyon, they're doing what they want to do. They're dancing. They're dressing like they want to dress. They dance like they want to dance. Yeah. Like what pops in my head is like the mamas and the papas. You talk about an eclectic looking group of people. They're just dancing crazy, dressed like hippies. And they don't, I mean, in other words, people didn't do that back then. Yeah. I mean, just that alone would have freaked people out. Oh, but that, that, but that was like the awesome kind of energy of that time and place is that they, everybody was kind of that cutting edge of that, the new sound. Everyone was trying to figure out what was next. And, and I mean, we, we can talk about the doors. How about how Electra Records gave them a shot because they saw them performing and they were performing, you know, some stuff that was like good rock that most of the time was uh, uh, composed primarily by Robbie Krieger. It was just good rock and roll, like Light My Fire. I mean, he, that, that was his song. He wrote it and it was just a good little rock song that was catchy. Well, that, you know, would get them in the door, but then they had all these weird, you know, songs that were primarily poetry from Morrison. Uh, and then Morrison being an inexperienced vocalist, you know, sometimes he wouldn't even face the crowd when they would perform. He would he would face the band and sing and, you know, he had the, he was working his way up. That wasn't his world. He was a, a heavy artist because um, he was in film school. But but he just he would write so much. And that was never the, the goal to be a musical, you know, lead or the singer. Um, but uh, but then you hit Electra, Electra Records and um, I forget his first name, but I know his last name is Rothschild. Um, the producer sees them, I think at, at Whiskey Go-Go, uh, doing a, a night um, and then uh, gives them a shot, wants to give them a record because they, they, they have that weird dynamic to them of like, that's not, you know, like I was saying before, I, I didn't know what to expect when, you know, when they played and like that was satisfying, especially to a producer at that point who was over the, the doo-wop, the, the slow love rock or the like just the expect, expected like, you know, Chuck Berry covers or whatever, you know, but here's this like weird kind of like, it's poetry. It's very, it's very like hardline poetry. And then you had other musicians um, that were phenomenal. I mean, Raymond Mazarek's uh, piano playing was just, was crazy. Um, um, their drummer, um, I'm blanking on his name, but he, you know, he was a, he was a career uh, studio jazz drummer and he was just phenomenal. I mean, just, and, and you have Robbie Krieger who, when they started the Doors, he was only six months into playing uh, the guitar, and and the only time he put, he never used the pick. He would only use his fingers and a and a bottleneck slide, which a bottleneck slide is literally the top part of a wine bottle that they cut off and then polish off, and then you know that's what he's using. That's all he would ever use, and so, but they they had that that perspective of like I don't want, I I appreciate the old music. We love Elvis and yada yada, but. Like, let's make something different. We don't want to hear the same stuff. And um, that was one of those things where, I, I mean, this is an opinion of mine, but, you know, Electra Records saw them, uh, saw how odd they were of an oddity, and then they wanted to give them a shot, and then they, they proved themselves and then just kept that weird train rolling, you know? Um, but that was that was the awesome energy of, like, that time is there was so much potential because there wasn't, you know, you're, you're, there, there was only a certain amount of rock, you know, groups or rock types and uh, like what we were talking about before was R- Ruffalo Springfield, um, you know, to some people, 
playing folky music with our electric guitar that was offensive <laughs> you know, that was blasphemous what are you doing but then you look at the Beatles I mean that's what they're doing I mean I want to hold your hand that that is those are four folk chords on an electric guitar um, and eventually you get Dylan you know going electric which I turned a lot more people on to that because you know this phenomenal uh, icon this writer singer icon um, is is all oh, he's doing that now um, it was a big deal, um, but that, that's why I love this era is because there's just so much uh, massive potential because there was so much undone yet that we see now, you know, I mean, this is 50 plus years ago, but they had no idea what what would lie ahead in the terms of rock and roll of, of it becoming um, such a spectacle of when you show up, you don't just show up and play. You have to have uh, lights and, and visuals and blah, 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 or it's not just, you know, the typical chords. It's like you got to. You learn um, the heavier rock or, or grunge and like all this other stuff that ushers in decade after decade prior to that. But that's that's why I love the '60s and the early '70s because you get you can find the beginnings of almost any type of music like in that. Um, and and Buffalo Springfield is just awesome because it's it's the beginning. I mean, particularly for like someone like Neil Young, it's it's the beginning of their their mass exposure and the the trajectory of their career. You know, of like Neil Young going from, if I'm not, mis correct me, but, you know, he goes from this to a solo album, right? Uh, and then, um, and then it's Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young? Uh, I think he does, um, he does Neil Young and he does, everybody knows this is nowhere. He plays with the Crazy Horse, oh, too. Oh, Crazy Horse, okay. And then he starts to hang out with them again because they approach him and ask him if he wants to join them. Mm. Um, but he's still, you know... He's going. He's yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. He's playing. Well, and 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 that was the. Um, but well, I guess my timing's off. You know, you're right because it goes Neil Young, uh, Crazy Horse. Everybody knows it's nowhere, and then uh, because Kent State happened. Yes. Sixty nine, and then that's when they they get together. That's when they get back together for Ohio, um, and uh, which is a phenomenal song. That oh. that, that song is is so crazy. Um, and I mean, that's how I mean, maybe we should kind of wrap up the topic of Buffalo Springfield with this, because I mean, that's kind of the last time they get together um, partially because um, Bruce Palmer is far and away. He's in Canada and they, they've all moved on to their own independent stuff. They've proven themselves in their last albums. And then, you know, something major political happens. Uh, well, and for anybody who's listening, that doesn't know what we're referencing when we talk about Kent State. Was it was it six, six, five, four, uh, four? Uh, oh yeah, four dead in Ohio. That's the that's the chorus. Uh, four students at Kent State were 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 murdered um, by uh, during a peaceful protest. Yeah, National yeah, Guard. National Guard shot them. Um, and so after that happened, Neil Young, the night of wrote the lyrics to Ohio and then they got together and uh, made the single Ohio, which is phenomenal. I mean, his, his, his guitar solo on it is just so, um, it's so, I don't want to say it's electric cause it literally is electric, but it's like, it's got a lot of in energy in it. The, the feeling, the feeling it, it's almost palpable. It's like, you know, like there's a certain songs that you listen to where like, man, the guitarist, like, he wrote the song too. Like you can tell that they're, they're, they're playing it because that's, it's almost like they're translating their feelings into chords. They're translating how they feel and to make it palpable. So you understand. And, and that song is just so, it, it's like, it's like you feel like a high energy frustration from it, you know? 
and uh, it's very good. Um, and then they have their album, the uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young album. And then they do a live album too. Um, and that was basically it. Uh, they hinted at um, getting the original Buffalo Springfield lineup together. Um, and uh, Neil Young, I think, was the kind of the one that, that was not in line. Like I guess the, the, the timing, because you know, he's, I mean, he's literally nonstop at what he's doing, and he didn't do it. And then um, I think it was Fure and Palmer died like early two thousands. And the following year, they did like a, a tribute and and played together one last time. Or it was because they didn't want to do it Neil's way. Yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> very very possible. Yeah. yeah, Wikipedia says they did a reunion tour in twenty eleven. Okay. Yeah. Sands Young. Oh, without, without Young. Young. Uh, but yeah, but I'm pretty sure. A few in the, shows, I guess. I'm pretty sure at some point in the early 2000s when two of the members passed away, mm -hmm. like in the same year, um, or maybe it was preceding years, then the year after that, then they, they finally did something. But it was just like a little pop up thing. But, uh, but yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and I mean, we can obviously have our own discussion about Neil Young, but. The beginning of Buffalo Springfield is just the it's that start. I just love the the how it goes from. I mean, even even for what it's worth, I don't want to call that a, a, a not a simple song, but just like a folk rock song because it's 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 very abnormal. I mean, um, just the 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 tone, the the one pluck of the that that really vibrant guitar in the yeah, background. Yeah, because I think it steals it right for what it's worth. I think I don't think Young wrote it though. No, right? correct. But that's why that that guitar, that's why I wanted to break in on what you're saying that um it it shows more still steals influence, but it but it begins to show their interest in and their wanting to express their how they things what what's happening, you know, because it is very it's almost prophetic. I mean, because you can listen to it today and it and it still applies to today, you right. know, what's going on, you know. There, there's a man with a gun over there telling me I've got to beware. So it, it, they're, they're capturing that feeling of anxiety and paranoia and, and confusion. Yeah. Well, that's actually one of my favorite parts of that song is, is when they tell that line, uh, the paranoia strikes deep and you have Neil Young doing that really like, yeah. uh, cause he makes again, that palpable guitar, uh, uh, vibe sound that you did that. I could say it's like, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's like, you know, yeah. it's like that, that, I mean, to me as a music lover, and like I said before, wanting to find alternative like finding different approaches to music and or a story or or a poem or whatever expression um and not only having good dialect or good lyrics in it but having um, the instruments playing a role in setting the the feeling setting that like you know i mean like like when a, when, a, when a drummer is playing nothing but the toms in the bass and it's like you know that's like that you know it's like it's almost tribal it's like that high energy like ah uh, but but with the, the electric guitar like the way they, they the buffalo springfield uses it uh, particularly and for what it's worth i mean that, that that's what i think makes that song so stellar and relatable to a lot of people is it's not just a good um it's not just good writing you have the accompaniment of this instrument uh, setting the tone of the feelings behind the words. And I think any song um, at, at, at all, but I mean, any huge song that will stand the test of time, that's what it does. That's what it achieves is it, it makes those feelings understood to the listener. Um, and like we've talked about a lot, you know, whenever, uh, I mean, pressure makes a diamond. Um, so, I mean, I say that a lot with artists, like whenever they're in a hard 
place in life. You know, a lot of times it's when they'll turn out some of their best work. And I think it's because they're processing so much. There's so much on their mind. Um, and when it comes to exuding it, expressing themselves through their form of artwork, through uh, an instrument or writing or whatever, or both, like someone like George Harrison is going to write it and then play it. Um, like all things must pass. I mean, that was just like a huge culmination because there's so much happening. Uh, the Beatles breaking up, um, his divorce, uh, um, his mom passing away, um, not knowing what the future holds and not knowing where he lies in the, in the landscape of, mu of the music industry, but knowing he's, he's worked on enough stuff in the background. That wasn't enough for the Beatles, but now that he's underneath all this pressure, I mean, he buckled down and inside of that year of 19, late 1969 through, you know, the later half of the 70s, 1970s, he finishes, uh, or 1970, not 1970s. He finished, they finish all things must pass. And that's just like, it, it's a phenomenal album, but he was again, underneath so much pressure or what's going on, you know, and what's going on. You have, um, his, uh, Marvin Gaye's brother had just gotten back from Vietnam and yeah. he saw how he was received. Um, he was on the cusp of divorce with his, uh, his wife, who was the eldest sister of Barry Gordy, who was the lead producer of Motown. Um, you had the Kent state thing going on. So he didn't know, like there's so much going on. Oh, and Tammy and Trammell Tammy, so yeah, passed away passed. from grand can uh, from brain cancer. And he said that he wasn't going to do a duet with anyone ever again. Uh, I mean, he was down and on top of that, I mean, he um, was on, he was in drugs at that time too. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, and also, you know, we talked about him as a pop star artist. He, he, a lot of stuff was written for him, you know, in the sixties. But at that point he wanted to like turn out his perspective. That's when a majority of what's going on was written by him. And, um, but that's what I'm talking about is those, those critical moments, you know, you take away the, the comfort from a, a, a really creative person and you get them to come to new terms with their reality or society or a relationship or whatever. And you can turn out some really unique music because of that pressure, because you, it, it's almost, I imagine it's some, it has to come out of some biological survival thing that when you feel uncomfortable, you're at your best because you're, you know, you're, you have heightened senses because you don't know what's coming next. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how it exactly goes, but there's this um, philosopher I listen to, uh, Peter Rollins. He says that um, it's like an Irish saying or something like that, where an artist is someone who can kind of put language to their bleeding. And hmm. so, like, hmm. what we really want them to keep doing is like keep bleeding. Yeah. Like they express it in some way, or like they can give language to people's hurts and people's pains. And right. so, we really need that artist to keep going through all of those things yeah. <laughs> so that we can get their language. We can get that, like that catharsis that happens for the community. But it's like, you know, this individual's pain or life that they're going through, yeah. but the way that they express it, the way that they talk about it is through art. And so that's what yeah. sort of keeps that cycle going. But I always like that sort of perspective on how artists like, just naturally they go through their emotions and like they'll write a song about their individual heartache or something like that. And then, you know, you have this great song that might come from that or, you know, kind of a, an album or something that outflows just from them going through that pain. Yeah. I think that's what you see. Uh, again, when you compare the West coast uh, music to the, to the Beatles being in the forefront of the British invasion, 
and what they were doing, especially after they've you know gone to the studios, they're writing things that are very introspective, right? They're writing things that are pertain to them. They, they're making some observations about the culture, but but they're not necessarily writing about the, the things that are happening at the minute all, uh, that we see what's happening in the West Coast. What I'm saying is the Buffalo Springfield and people on the West Coast they wrote stuff and did things that the Beatles couldn't, wouldn't do or couldn't do. Mm. I mean, just as the Beatles were doing things they couldn't do, they were doing things the Beatles couldn't do. The Beatles didn't write anything like what for what it's worth or, or Ohio, which comes a little bit later. But it, it reflects like like the quote he was saying, Neil and their and their whole the intensity, the, the blood coming through their music, that that sound you hear in Neil's guitar that that almost which, you know, when you see uh, parodies of rock uh, guitarists, they're trying to, or blues guitars, they can make it cry. You can make it sing. Well, Neil had this sound that he makes to that guitar that you're like, what is that? How does he do that? But but it it has a, almost like a live sound to it. He Like it's living, like there's something alive in that music. Mm-hmm. But it, but I think part of it is they're, they're, absor- they're so uh, impacted by the things they're seeing in their culture and what's happening to their to their uh, generation you know the the college students the kids that are going to vietnam and like you said like marvin gay he's he's being impacted now he's seeing things happening what people they're watching people coming back from nam going man what is wrong with you he's like well, you, you don't know what i've seen the things that were what's going on over there and so but but the Buffalo Springfield, uh, specifically, you know, Neil and and Stephen Stills, but all those guys and, and the bands that were around them and the people that would become very influential in, in you know, uh, writing and like Jackson Brown and uh, Roger McGowan from The Birds. Mm-hmm. And um, these guys, they're writing what they see. It's happening to the people around them and they're making observations, but they're making music at the same time. And. So it's kind of a mesh of a lot of things going on where the Beatles have said, you know what, we've we've been out there. We've done it live. We we're the we're the band right now. So we retreat to the studio and we're just going to compose our music. They happen to be able to do it very well. They were doing it great by that point. But they're to me, when you look at it from that perspective, they're making music from a totally different perspective than what they're doing on the West Coast. Yeah. Although they're being influenced by what the Beatles are doing, they're also doing something that's different. Yeah. And they're relating to things and writing about things that before you wouldn't do that. Uh, well, like Marvin Gaye, when he does what's going on, you don't make an album about yeah. social issues. You don't. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. You're not. It's not the pop. Formula. That's not what they want. They yeah. they need your finger popping pop songs. You know, you got to make a song where everybody wants to sing it. He's like, no, I'm going to sing about what I feel and what I, what I see happening. Yeah. Which gives what what goes on that a similar feeling to me as some of the songs you see coming out of the the West Coast that that are about. The cult about what's happening in in the culture and the society to and the people. Criticism. Yes, criticism and just an outcry of what's going on. What are we supposed to do about that? Yeah. You know, what, who is doing something about it? Well, I feel like really what you're touching on is both kind of have that outcry of, am I the only one seeing this? Like, am I? Is this right? You know, and it's like, is, is everybody else okay with this, or is this just kind of like? we got to talk about it because i mean nowadays it's like with the with media being so vast i mean you know everything you want to look into the current state of wildfires in a small county you can look it up like that but at that point i mean i just feel like especially as a a young person who doesn't want to conform to you know what the the previous generation was you know told to do and yada yada this is going to be your life and your career life that, that they wanted to just talk about it they wanted to not just accept it but you know what is this 
are y'all all okay with this? You know, because I feel like that's why it's worthwhile. And well, we can, I mean, I want to do Marvin Gaye as a separate episode, but um, I mean, that's another uh, interesting thing is those labels starting to take those chances of letting the artist be a little more expressive, be more open about it. And I mean, that, that varies. I mean, that's another topic for another day, but how production labels would vary how they would handle different types of artists and, you know, how would they, would they try and mitigate those feelings of like, no, that's not marketable. So you're not going to talk about it. Or would they give them a chance? You know, like with Marvin Gaye, I mean, he literally, they were, he was given a shot at, like they didn't want to do it, but they gave him a shot on what's going on. Um, and in other ones that just, you know, just full fledged, just do what you want. I mean, like the Beatles, like they got to a point where they could just write almost about anything mm -hmm. in their last few years because, uh, they weren't marketing it. They weren't touring it. If the record sold, then we're good. And then they had become their own producers. Yeah. You know, by the time they made Apple records, uh, who was going to tell them what to do except George Martin. And, and if anything to me, that was almost like a suggestion, you know, it was like a team uh, agreement, but like they are all apt to, to grow and, and, and grow and uh, conceptually that it's not just going to talk about love and yada, yada, although they did throughout their entire career, but they got more accurate in what they were talking about. And, and now more so once they stem out from each other and their solo careers, especially John, they get very precise about how they That's want to nice. criticize things and stuff like that. Um, but they also had limited life experience too at the beginning. Oh, sure. Exactly. So all of the things that they were, the simple songs and a lot of covers, right? When they were right. sort of cutting their teeth and getting used to playing live and all that, it was all covers that they sort of blended and made their own things. And yeah. then as they went through the albums, it was like, oh, we have seen a lot of the world. We have seen a lot of our own suffering and they've been in like real love relationships after that. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, and, and that became a, a key point to why they splintered and why they became such an independent force individually is because they, they, they wanted that culture to grow their, their musical understanding of, you know, going to Jamaica and listening to those artists, going to India, going to Africa, going to anywhere they, they, they would, they, they fancied, honestly, probably, um, to, to pick up a new sound, to find a new sound. Cause I, I don't remember who said this quote, but you know, any new sound is just a, a sound on a new instrument from another country or something like that. I can't remember who said that, but it's like, it, it's, it's like, like obladi oblada. They got that phrase, you know, from someone they met, I think in Jamaica, I think that's what they got. The guy would say, and, and they just liked it so much that they wanted to turn it into a song. And, um, <laughs> Or yeah, I don't know. There, there's a lot of stuff, and and, and so we can just appropriation that everywhere they want. <laughs> well, I just call it appreciation. <laughs> I would call it appreciation because you know I, I like because like even even me and like our our group, you know, there's times where I'll, I'll want to play a, a song that I know I'm playing in the stylings of like an older. 60s song or whatever but i'll pick up the tempo you know i'll pick up the tempo and add a grittier sound to it or, or something to it and all of a sudden it's it's very hard to tell that i'm trying to i'm playing i'm riffing off of a song from the 60s um but it's just harder to tell like uh, you know like the portugal the man song uh, feel it still their biggest song whatever you know they gave writing credits to uh um Oh, what, are, what was the band's group? It was, a, it was a female trio or whatever, but it's the group that did uh, uh, Mr. Postman. Please, Mr. Postman. The Marvelettes? Yeah. 
so they gave them writing credits because the uh the 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 cadence or the the timing is yes it's very much yeah it's the same it is a very interesting case well it's not the same but it's super close but john gorley knew that that's where he got it Mm -hmm. from he wanted to take that like basic kind of melody change it make it a little more complicated and then change it up and move on um i mean like uh uh I mean, this would be a great topic for another day, but like uh, Nirvana, like Kurt Cobain, when he when it came to music composure and uh, lyricism, that's what he would always address the group with: is don't make it too complicated. Keep, I mean, literally, his quote was like, "Keep it like a nursery rhyme, like keep it really simple, simple. and and we'll build off from there." Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that's. I don't know. That's why Buffalo Springfield or Neil Young and, and Paul McCartney and, and, and um, I don't know, there's a ton of people, but that's why I, I'm super drawn to those musical personalities is because like me, you know, they want the alternative. They, they appreciate it and then they kind of move on because they're like, well, what's, what, is, what else is out there? Because it's, it's infinite. Who, who's going to make the next sound? And that hyper competitive, you know, uh, 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 environment of Laurel Canyon and just the up and coming. Like I was saying, the the markability of music and the increase and 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 people buying music, it, it just ramped up that 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 hyper sense of oh, well, who's next? What's gonna who's gonna be the next sound? And everybody competing with each other and, and yada yada. But yeah, um, very interesting. But yeah, um, if you haven't listened to Buffalo Springfield, I would definitely give them a try because they're. Um, a lot of beginnings of, of early rock and roll that, um, well, you can't replicate it because then you'd be plagiarizing them. So you need to go check them out because it's a very, it's a very different, different approach to uh, rock. And I guess it's a, it's a very clean, uh, uh, well-produced folk rock psychedelic album from the early sixties that, um, yeah, I mean, you can find it replicated in the same type of sense, but I mean, it'll never be written down like it is in this. So I would check it out. All right. Thank you for listening. For more episodes, visit our website, musicmythpodcast.com, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Goodbye.